live from inside your speakers, this is Hardcore Casual, your place for weekly gaming and entertainment news. Please welcome your host, Whack Ops. What up, what up, what up? My name is Whack Ops. How you doing? Welcome to Hardcore Casual, episode 16. I just wanted to open up the show saying, man, man, it was hard getting to y'all this week. That is why I'm coming in late. That's why the sound quality is a little different. I am actually off location. I am outside of my recording studio. So please excuse both my tardiness and the change in sound quality. I hope that I can provide to you the same level of experience that I bring to you every single week. With that being said, let's go ahead and start with a couple episode highlights and personal updates. First of all, before we jump into any of the news, I got something to say. I have arrived. I'm finally here in the next generation. I picked up my Xbox Series S. I'm very, very excited about it. Unfortunately, where I am, the internet is not great. So it's taken quite a bit of time for me to pull down my library of, I think I have roughly 25 games now on the on the S. Granted, as a sidebar, I did buy a WD Black Xbox edition 5 terabyte hard drive to hold all my last gen games. Um, and I did that uh, for storage purposes. I couldn't justify spending an extra $200, $230 on uh, an SSD when at the end of the day, if I'm being honest, a lot of the games I'm playing are last gen and I'm probably going to be using this machine to get through some of my back catalog as well as utilize Game Pass. So, With that out of the way, let's go ahead and talk about what we're talking about this week. Metroid Dread, that just dropped last week, and it has come out to rave reviews, not only from fans, but from critics as well. We're going to talk about the Battlefield 2042 beta and discuss whether or not you or me think it should be delayed. And of course, Nintendo finally announced the pricing for their Nintendo Online Plus Expansion Pack, and we're going to dive into the ins and outs of all of that stuff. And lastly, for our trigger warning topic of the week, we are going to be talking about Kotaku once again. I'm very, very excited to be talking about Kotaku once again because uh, they, you know, say what you want about them, but they they bring conversations to the space. But either way, um, before we get into the show, I do want to remind everybody to support the show and that you can write in, you can support us either through our email by writing us uh, whackops at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z at gmail.com. Go ahead and write in with your questions, your comments, things you like about the show, things you don't like about the show are always welcome. And then you can also give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Again, at whackops. that's W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. Uh, we're always happy to hear what you guys got to say. And please support the show by subscribing, sharing, downloading, and reviewing. It really does help grow our show and you know tell a friend to tell a friend man if you find somebody in your life who you think this content this podcast speaks to please bring them into the fold because we would love to have them now without further ado let's go ahead and stop wasting your time and jump into the headliners this week the headliners is where we tell you what made the front page news in games and entertainment now let's go ahead and start off with some quick announcements Firstly, last week when I got on the show and I put the show out, I had said that GTA Trilogy, the original San Andreas Vice City, and GTA 3 would be getting remasters was all but confirmed. Well, just after I posted my episode last week, Rockstar finally came out and announced that it is official. They're going to be releasing a remaster of San Andreas Vice City and GTA 3 in a Trilogy 1 package on December 7th for all consoles. There's also going to be a physical edition for last-gen consoles with current-gen consoles coming in 2022. Um, Very excited for that. I can't wait to replay some of these. These were some of my first games that I ever beat, I ever played uh, with a mature rating. I actually think GTA 3 was my first M-rated title that I played myself. And I think that is going to be a hell of a lot of nostalgia, at least for me personally. Next, we had a video posted by Valve to their YouTube page where they broke down their upcoming console 
the Steam Deck. Now, I'm very excited for this, even though I did not pre-order it. I'm happy for a lot of people to jump into the PC space uh, without having to build their own rig or spend $2,000. That is nice. I really think accessibility matters in the gaming space, and I think Valve is doing everything they can to make the Steam Deck as accessible as possible. Now, in the video that they posted to their YouTube, the breakdown, and really breakdown is a loose term, because if you go to the PC space, that wasn't really a breakdown. They showed you how to replace a few parts, including the SSD on the Steam Deck. I believe it maxes out at 512 gigabytes. They also addressed Joy-Con drift, showing you how to replace that. But before they went ahead and showed you how to break down the actual machine, they gave a huge disclaimer, saying things along the lines of, hey man, look, if you don't know what you're doing, you can easily damage this product, you can easily wipe it out and end up wasting, you know, 500 plus dollars, and it won't be on us. And that is reasonable. Most companies feel that way about you repairing their tech. But... They also went on to say like, hey man, you can start a fire, you're risking your life even changing this thing, which made a lot of the uh, PC builders on YouTube kind of chuckle a little bit because it's like, yes, of course, if you damage the battery, the battery can catch fire and can burn your house down. Sure, yes, but the likelihood of you doing that, if you know what you're doing, you're not going to do that. You know what I mean? If you don't know what you're doing, you shouldn't be doing this in the first place. So it's it was kind of a duality to what they were saying that kind of concerned some people. But at the end of the day, I think it is an important video to watch if you're buying a Steam Deck just to give you an inkling as to how difficult it's going to be to change the Joy-Cons or the controller sticks and also be able to increase your storage if you don't want to use the memory flash that Valve suggests you buy before increasing storage. Because flash memory and an SSD obviously run at very, very different speeds. Next, we're going to go ahead and jump into one of the bigger stories that hit the news waves this week, and it was all about EA potentially dropping the FIFA name from their FIFA titles. Now, this is reported out by New York Times, but I'm going to be reading from IGN. Quote, The New York Times reports that there is a dispute between EA, the developer of the FIFA games, and FIFA, the worldwide football organization. The disagreement is reportedly over costs and new revenue streams. According to the report, FIFA wants to charge EA $1 billion every four years to use the FIFA license within its games. Additionally, the organization wants to limit EA's monetization of the game. Earlier reporting by Polygon said, quote, EA Sports FC is the name filed with the United Kingdom's Intellectual Property Office and the European Union's Intellectual Property Office. Now, what does all this mean? I think you heard the headline there, and that's that FIFA wants to charge EA $1 billion for every four years for the FIFA license. Now, since then, we can assume that EA is considering this because, one, they have pretty much built up the FIFA name within the gaming space to what it is today. And two, $1 billion for every four years. I mean, just in terms of games development costs, if you broke that down, there's not a lot of $250 million games being built right now, even in the AAA space. Yes, there are. I'm not saying there aren't, but uh, I think we're still a little bit away from the $200 million game, the $300 million, the half-billion-dollar game being common. And more than that, the fact that EA went ahead and already filed name rights within the UK and the EU, those intellectual property offices do run digital gaming uh, copyright and licensing. So what is likely to happen, at least from my estimation, and this is all conjecture, is that EA is probably going to rename their franchise. And FIFA is going to sell that name to other developers in the gaming space, but also other people related to entertainment. Um, Fortnite was brought up recently saying that they can take their deal to Epic Games. But, you know, I think that this is definitely an interesting story for those of you in the FIFA community who care deeply about it. But I think that EA's argument that the FIFA name should go 
uh, to them because they have done nothing but to uplift it. I think that their monetization strategies are a valid point of contention when it comes to the football organization, the worldwide football organization. Because at the end of the day, you have associated their brand with gambling and not just gambling, but gambling and children. So that is certainly a, a sticky situation, and I can't wait for the next calendar year to go by and see what FIFA is going to turn into. Granted, I will say this, EA has not lost the rights to use the players or the teams or anything. Just the name of FIFA and FIFA-related products within the game, you know what I mean, things that say FIFA on it, and the World Cup name. So you're not going to get a World Cup edition. There will no longer be a World Cup within the, uh, what are they calling it, the EA Sports uh, Football Club, FC name, which uh, honestly I don't think is as marketable, but EA marketing teams do a good job. I mean, an effective job. I wouldn't say quote-unquote good, but they're effective. Now, that's enough of our headliners this week. Let's go ahead and get into the word on the street where we talk rumors, gossip, and controversy. And boy, do I have quite a bit of controversy for you. I hope you're ready. Go ahead and take a seat. So, first things first, we have Marvel's Avengers and their XP controversy. So, many of you who have been listening to the show know I went ahead and I downloaded Marvel's Avengers and I... I tried it out. I only got about, you know, a quarter of the way through the campaign. I only played like two or three hours. I didn't find it very engaging, you know what I mean, despite the fact that I'm a big Marvel fan, at least MCU fan. I can't even say that I've read a bunch of the comics, but one thing that I did notice, and this is still happening, is as soon as you boot up the game, the first thing that they do as soon as you sign all their little documents saying that, you know, all the disclosures and things like that, it says, hey, do you want to buy something? And then you close that. And it's like, hey, do you want to buy something again? And it pointed us straight toward XP boosters, which we're going to actually talk about today. So a little context. I do have some at least anecdotal evidence to what we're going to be talking about today. So this all starts back at E3 2019. I'm going to read you a quote from Square Enix. This is what they said on stage when they announced that Marvel's Avengers was real, and was coming to consoles. Quote, Our promise to the community is that we won't have random loot boxes or pay-to-win scenarios. Okay. Remember that as we talk about this discussion. So, there was an XP nerf that happened back in March. This is according to GameRant. And players were, quote, overwhelmed and confused by how fast they were leveling, according to Square Enix. And that is why they went ahead and nerfed the XP. So people were leveling too fast and they, I don't know what percentage they cut it by, but it was fairly significant and it made the game grindier. Not far after that, they also introduced a patch that ruined many players and game builds and they did this without communicating. This is according to Forbes. So there was one particular perk that many players were building their entire endgame builds around. They were rolling and re-rolling for these gear sets over and over and over again just to get one particular perk. They had built an entire build around it with their favorite character, and now a massive nerf. And I don't mean like a soft nerf, not a Call of Duty nerf. No, 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 no. Nerfed. It is virtually useless has forced many players to wipe the slate clean and start a new player over or completely walk away from the game. This brings us to where we are now. According to the VGC, just this, what, last week, Marvel's Avengers will be introducing XP boosts to the store for real money. This is live right now. This is happening right now. I am, you know, not likely to return to Marvel's Avengers after this. Mostly because I don't like supporting games that don't have, like, some respect for their community. And if you go to the Marvel's Avengers Reddit page, it's just, it's a lot of heartbroken fans. Like, I know gamer Reddit is, like, a cesspool sometimes, but, like, man, that's a sad one. You know what I mean? It's It, it feels like many people were very invested in this title, and they totally bungled it. Not only by making it a live service game, and by padding it out but also by just not communicating with people what their intentions were from the fir- in the first place. Because quite frankly, I think if they had come out and said exactly what they were trying to do from the jump and told us as consumers 
screw just gamers, as people who are giving them money for a product, I maybe would have been more willing to jump in and spend some time in the game. But no, at the end of the day, they sold us a dream and then tried to pull the rug from under us. And I, I don't like that. I don't like that. So, you know, if you're still playing Marvel's Avengers, I do implore you not to give them any more of your money. And definitely play with friends. If you haven't played before, it's definitely better to play with friends once you get through that campaign. From what I hear, again, I did not beat the campaign. But let's go ahead and move on from Square Enix and go ahead and jump into the Pokemon Company. The Pokemon Company had a video uh, gameplay reveal for Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl this week. And what do you know, they also have their very own experience controversy. So it was announced during the gameplay reveal that the XP share will be active from the start with no option to turn it off. For those of you who are not in the Pokemon ecosystem, you build a team and whatever Pokemon fights another Pokemon, they generally get all the experience. XP share is a mechanic that allows you to spread that experience points to all the Pokemon in your party, and that allows them to level up slowly over time, um, and you can kind of just run with your favorite or the strongest up at the lead. Rather than having to throw out a weak Pokemon and just slowly train them up over time. But the problem with this is fans are mad because it makes the game too easy. As somebody who is an OG Pokemon fan, as tedious as it is to throw out a Pokemon that's like way under leveled and then pull them out and throw in another one and it, do that whole back and forth process, yes, it's tedious but it is well worth it to have control over my team. I'm a person who likes to run one or two lead Pokemon in my team and have everybody else like hover a couple of levels behind for skills and things like that because I like to focus my team around certain Pokemon. And I think a lot of fans who are maybe a little older um, are probably the ones who are upset. If you started playing on like the 3DS with what, Sun and Moon, I think they introduced that with, or maybe X and Y, whichever one, you're probably a little less upset because you've been living with it for a while, but I definitely noticed that in uh, Shield and Sword, and you know, it, it became cumbersome, you know what I mean? Because there were certain Pokemon who maybe I just wanted in my party, but I didn't want taking experience points from my mainstays, my heavy hitters, so... It is definitely a, a conundrum. I, I wish they would put a toggle of some sort in menu or even at the start of the game. Um, I, I'd just be happy with anything that just popped up and was like, hey, do you even want to do this or, you know, whatever. I'm definitely going to be looking into playing Pokemon Arceus later this year, and I hope they don't have a forced or mandatory XP share in that title as well. But... I don't know how integrated this system is into the game, and I don't even know how how easy it is to just turn it off, so to speak, because I know anything in game development isn't just turn it off or turn it on. It's not that simple. Somebody actually has to build those things out. Let's go ahead and move on to another interesting topic. This comes to us from a video from Paul Tassie on YouTube. Paul Tassie is, again, I brought him up before. He's a writer over at Forbes. He's been writing about video games for a long time, but one thing I like to go to him for specifically is live service news. He plays mostly live service games. He uploads videos at least probably twice a week on Destiny or Marvel, or he did videos on Outriders when that was popular. He does a lot of Destiny content, though. Now, Destiny has been vaulting more of its core content. If you're not familiar with vaulting, it is where a live service game takes some content that is old, more or less, and they pull it down, and it is no longer available to the player base um, until the company chooses to re-release it, update it, or allow it to be available for a short time. So, given that Destiny is vaulting more of its core content, and it has been doing this, I believe, for at least a year, its most recent announcement uh, it is vaulting the Forsaken DLC. Now, earlier this year, they had vaulted the Red War campaign, now, both of these are quintessential to the Destiny experience. As somebody who's played through uh, both the full campaign and Forsaken, I would say if you don't play either of those, it'd be very hard as a new player to be introduced to the series. And quite frankly, 
playing some of these things yourself is much more enjoyable than watching cutscenes. They also do this uh, alongside a launch of new content as well, so it's not for no reason. And a lot of people in the space are wondering why they are even vaulting. What is the purpose of this? Well, Bungie is currently trying to update to a new engine and also be available to next-gen consoles. As the game grows and progresses, they're going to pull down old content and try and update it, if they can, and re-release it based on how badly the player base wants it. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. Bungie usually is okay about their monetization, but I wouldn't be surprised if they made you pay for a re-release of the Destiny 2 campaign. But that's neither here nor there. Because many players have been calling for a sequel, right? Why vault all this content when you can just do a hard stop and create a new game? Well, that's because Dis Destiny 2 gets yearly expansions, of which have been announced at least through 2024. And on top of that, how many players are actually playing old content? You know what I mean? When is the last time you went back and played the Red War campaign unless you were starting a new character? And I think that's fairly valid. And, and the only reason I want to believe it is because it's Bungie and not some other uh, bad faith actor in the space. But this is also a growing concern around a lot of live service games. And it's uh, one analogy that Paul Tassie brought up uh, was the ship of Theseus. And, you know, if you guys have watched WandaVision, you probably know what I'm talking about. But essentially, you know, you take an old ship, ship of Theseus, and if you replace one plank at a time over time until it is a completely all new wood, is it still the ship of Theseus? And that's kind of where we're at with Destiny 2. If we pull down all of what was Destiny 2 at launch, and it's all different content since its original release... Are you even still playing Destiny 2 in the first place? And then it brings up another conversation. What are you actually paying for when you purchase a game? You know? I think that's a downside to live service, at least as it relates to ownership and game preservation, is that you have no ownership over your experience. You're basically renting server space when you purchase a live service title. Now, I will admit, many people who are playing now are playing for free. They did not purchase the original Destiny 2. They did not buy the Forsaken DLC, things like that. But as somebody who did buy the Forsaken DLC, you know, yeah, I'm a little butthurt that I can't play that anymore because that's a really fun campaign and it's a really compelling story. And it has some of my most, I guess, my favorite characters in gaming, you know? Uh, no spoilers. I'm not going to spoil it. But if you're in the Destiny community, you know what I'm talking about. And like, that's crazy that they would remove that. But you know what? At the end of the day, I think we all have to remember that companies are not going to spend the resources, the time, the money to build a new game as long as updates, DLC, patches, and expansions are going to be enough to keep players spending. So as long as you're buying their DLC, they have no reason to put out a new game. Because they can, instead of making a game in three years and charging you 60 bucks, they can make three DLCs, you know what I mean, in three years and charge you 20 bucks once a year for that DLC. And I mean, I will admit, like, I don't know how many people are playing 100% of what's going on on Destiny. But I get that this is hard hitting to the Destiny community. So shout out to the Destiny community for losing the Forsaken DLC I really hope that all your new DLC that you're getting through 2024 hits in that same way, or at least one of them has as much of an impact as that Forsaken DLC. Moving on, let's go ahead and actually talk about this, this Battlefield situation, y'all. Very, very, very interesting. So, uh, the Battlefield had a beta over last weekend. I believe it was the 6th through the 9th or something of October. Now, there were some really good reviews that went up of the beta. I definitely suggest you check out check out Skill Up or uh, Exclusive Ace. Exclusive Ace typically does uh, Call of Duty centric material, but I think both of them did a great breakdown of expectations versus uh, gameplay and their personal experience and things like that. Now, with the beta going on last week, many people had harsh criticisms. Some even calling for a delay of the game. What did what were the concerns about? Some of them were pretty typical beta stuff 
and it's bugs, textures, pop-in, AI, and other bug, you know, beta-related issues. Granted, AI, I think, might not be a beta-related issue. I think that might actually be they made some bad AI, but neither here nor there. There was also concerns around design choices. The fact that classes now act like perks rather than play styles. So when you pick the medic, you're not locked into a particular play style, which means it's just a perk and a skin that you're running with. That's it. It, 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 it is less agency and identity to the player, and it forces people, or it doesn't force people to play like a team and have a play style anymore, which is a lot of the appeal of the Battlefield franchise. There was also communication concerns. Uh, from what I understood, there was a limited ping system, and it was hard to communicate over 128 players on the field at one time. And then lastly, you know, the plus system that allows you to change um, attachments on your gun on the fly and weather effects also came out to mixed opinion. Some people really ranted and raved about both of these things and really loved how they changed up the gameplay and made everything more exciting and more accessible. And others had very mixed opinions on the matter and felt as though it was kind of breaking down and eroding away what makes Battlefield Battlefield. Now... This honestly hurt my feelings because this was probably my most anticipated shooter of the year. And I don't know that I have a snappy first-person shooter to play this year. I Honestly, I'm, I'm thinking about getting into like Apex or something like that just because I'm not playing Call of Duty this year. Fingers crossed, I don't purchase that game. I don't play that game this year because of what's been going on at Activision. But Battlefield really broke my heart with this beta, man. And I think it was kind of the opposite of the Halo beta, where in the Halo beta, you know, it appealed both to old players and new players, being accessible while also having depth. This was the opposite of that. It did not appeal to new players or fans of the franchise. So they fell flat on both, and it took me from a, wow, this is a must-play on my next-gen console to a, a wait-for-review game real fast, real fast. So I would definitely be cautionary uh, purchasing this $70 game <laughs> with no campaign. Uh, yeah, watch, watch out for reviews, and let's hope that this beta really wasn't as bad as we thought. They kept saying, you know, the the build is a few months old, the build is a few months old, and I'm going to choose to believe them right now. But if I even see a few videos alluding to how badly the performance was on the beta, yeah, I think I'm going to wait for a sale on Battlefield. I'm, maybe I'll be playing it in March. I'll catch up with y'all. But that is enough of that. That is enough of all of the nonsense happening in the word on the street segment lots of controversy lots of things to talk about but we're going to go ahead and jump into the review rewind where we revisit the community response to the latest games releases and bring some titles to your attention now i got three for you today i'm going to run through them real quick before we get into our first break now i'm taking these these scores from different consoles but all of these scores are coming from metacritic so Far Cry 6 on Xbox Series X. On Metacritic, it received an 80. It is fun, but very much the same Far Cry. That was the main complaints that I saw amongst critics uh, who were just brain dead from playing Far Cry games that are essentially carbon copies of the ones before it. Now, the user score was a 4.8 with very similar complaints, and I would say this was semi-review bombed. One, not, not only because I'm sure the game is actually a good game, but many people felt as though it was a carbon copy. And also, there was many translation issues. I see this a lot on Metacritic user scores. If you do not have a good translation to a major market, they are going to let you know. So, definitely get that Italian translation popping over there, okay? Ubisoft. Uh, next, we have Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl. I'm sure you're familiar with this. Many, many, many people are curious as to how this game plays because it is a smash clone for lack of a better term now the metacritic score and the user score actually line up this time the met the critics giving it a 66 because basically it lacks polish and attention to detail while it is fun it got consistent 70s now the metacritic user score gave it a 6.6 .6, right on the nose the difference being the community is split between zeros and tens. I think people who 
like fighting games adjacent to Smash probably really gave it 10s. But people who were looking for exactly Smash or really miss all of the little things that Smash did to flesh out the title, all that polish and attention to detail that we were talking about, gave it zeros. So I would definitely say check it out for yourself. If you have a friend who already has it, play it with them or something. But go to your favorite reviewers. Check out what your friends are saying because clearly it is hard to decipher from Metacritic at the moment. And lastly, let's go ahead and talk about Metroid Dread. Very excited for this title. If you don't know all the story behind this, Metroid has not sold well notoriously in the Nintendo ecosystem. It is not the most accessible gameplay experience all of the time. And many, many, many people from the Metroid community have rallied behind Metroid Dread to try and get these sales numbers up so that Nintendo will give them what they want. And that is a new 3D Metroid game, a AAA experience, if you will. Now, I'm pulling these straight from Switch as it is a Switch exclusive. The Metacritic score has been an 89 with many critics saying it is a near-perfect Metroid game for fans of the franchise and a must-buy for Switch owners. Now, the Metacritic user score is an 8.8. You know, basically, Metroidvanias are not for everyone. But otherwise, fans are in love. And I will say that. Metroidvanias are not for everyone. If you're curious uh, what kind of game this is, there are plenty of Metroidvanias on Game Pass that you can check out. There are also some... Cheaper ones that you can check out if you don't want to pay the full 60 quite yet and you want to see how it is. If you have Nintendo Online, there's the old Metroids. Granted, they are very different, but the gameplay premise is almost the same. So if you hate those, you're probably not going to like Dread very much. But Metroid Dread, from what I understand, has is being considered the quintessential must-experience game within the Metroid franchise. So... With that, we're going to actually go ahead and jump into our first break. We're we're moving along. We're chugging along. It's going to be probably a longer episode for y'all this week. When we come back, we're going to jump right into the reel, and then we're going to go ahead and talk about our platform war segment before we jump into our five minutes of football. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Wack Ops, and this is Hardcore Casual. What's going on? Welcome back, everybody, to Hardcore Casual. I am Wack Ops, and we're going to jump right back into it with The Real, where we break down the latest in TV and movie news. First, I'd like to make a quick announcement that DC Fandom is happening. Uh, it is on Saturday, 10 a.m. Pacific time. It is three and a half hours of announcements. It's going to be including trailers from Matt Reeves' Batman, the Flashpoint movie, and, of course, some more gameplay from the Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League video game. I'm very excited for all of these projects. DC often has some lacking content when it comes to the film space. I won't lie. I don't like a lot of their movies necessarily. Batman versus Superman obviously is like, it's probably like my least favorite superhero movie. And I know that's controversial amongst Batman fans, apparently. But yeah, no, I, I, I'm excited to see, one, Matt Reeves' Batman is very exciting, and two, that Suicide Squad game, I think if it's better than Guardians of the Galaxy, I might purchase it. If it looks better than Guardians of the Galaxy that just released uh, this month, I might pick it up because I would love a AAA experience where you play as a more villainous squad, or at least just, you know, people who aren't just so clean cut and carbon copy. That Marvel's game, I I think, put a a bad taste in my mouth. Marvel's Avengers game. But moving on, let's go ahead and talk about Adam Warlock being cast within the MCU. Now, this is coming from Deadline. Quote, sources tell Deadline that Will Poltier has landed the role of Warlock in Marvel's anticipated sequel, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Sources say Gunn and Execs began their lengthy search for the person who would be playing Warlock at the end of August, with Poltier meeting alongside several other actors for the coveted part. Very excited for Will Poltier. I forget what else he's played in recently. Uh, Definitely look up his name, but 
I'm excited to see his interpretation of things because I think he's often cast in comedic roles uh, where I think maybe his acting chops might be stronger than than uh, he's allowed to show a lot of the time. I'd love to see him in more dramatic roles. Next, we actually had some some hard news to hear from Tom Holland and in, in his interview with uh, Entertainment Weekly. He is hinting at the end of Spider-Man, at least his Spider-Man, in the MCU. Quote, We are all treating No Way Home as the end of a franchise, let's say. He adds, I think if we were lucky enough to dive into these characters again, you'd be seeing a very different version. It would no longer be the Homecoming trilogy. We would give it some time and try and build something different and tonally change the films. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. But we were definitely treating No Way Home like it was coming to an end, and it felt like it. Definitely, definitely hard news for all of you folks holding your breath to see if Marvel and Sony can come to some kind of agreement as it relates to Spider-Man, but not only Spider-Man, but Venom and the Sinister Six and everything in that Sony Marvel Marvel overlap, everything in that Spider-Man space. I really, really, really hope that whatever they do with No Way Home and whatever they do with Tom Holland's last few appearances in the MCU, they really make it stick because I think fans deserve it. I think we've been put through a lot with Spider-Man. And of course, this trilogy is quite good, um, at least the two that have come out so far. But I don't know. I could see a lot of people really losing sleep over the fact that every day we wake up, we're not sure where Spider-Man lands. We don't know where one of the biggest characters in the world lands within the biggest movie franchise in the world and the fact that they can't give the people what they want uh really kind of hurts my my feelings and and uh, you know shakes up some of my faith in the fact that these big businesses usually if there's money on the table they'll go get it but the fact that there's money on the table and they can't figure out a way to make it work really is a detriment to the fan base but that's neither here nor there i'm sure we will be talking more about that in the coming weeks. But let's go ahead and jump into the Platform Wars segment where we keep a pulse on the major platforms in the gaming space and where they are headed to next. First, uh, not a lot of Sony news this week. I'm ignoring uh, Sony news this week because there, there wasn't much to talk about. But let's go ahead and start with Microsoft. And the most important thing you're going to hear this week, Xbox Mini Fridge has finally been announced. Oh, I'm so excited. I think I'm picking one up. This comes to uh, this information comes from The Verge. The price is going to be about $100 out of the door. Pre-orders are going to be uh, are going to begin October 19th. It holds up to 12 drinks. It has two shelves for snacks and a USB port for charging your devices. It is honestly I it's one of my favorite like um troll products I think ever. I would spend $100 to have an Xbox mini fridge in my office and I think you're going to see a lot of streamers with the mini fridge that's probably going to be you know this winter's hot streamer item little glam item for the camera so i'm excited to see this out in the wild and i can't honestly i can't wait to see people ruin this because they always find a way to ruin fun things hopefully microsoft actually made a good mini fridge too let's hope that the refrigerator actually works and it's not just like a giant charging port (laughs) anyway In more serious news, let's go ahead and talk about Microsoft taking steps toward the right to repair. Now, this is according to Grist. Quote, Microsoft and the investor advocacy nonprofit known as As You So reached an agreement concerning a shareholder resolution As You So filed in June urging the tech company to analyze the environmental and social benefits of making device repair easier. After months of negotiation, Microsoft has agreed to comply and then some. Not only will the company study how increasing access to parts and information needed for repair can reduce its contributions to climate change and electronic waste, it has also agreed to act on the findings of that study by the end of next year. Now, how does this affect you? One day in the coming years, you may be able to have competitive repair prices for your console, computer, and other appliances. You can go to a local shop multiple potential local shops 
for specific repairs and pay a fair price, a competitive price if nothing else. Now, you may even be able to buy parts and fix your stuff yourself, which currently you cannot. If your Xbox One breaks and you know what's wrong with it and you have the means and the skill to fix it, you still do not have the parts nor instructions in order to do it properly, and Microsoft does not provide that. And Microsoft is not the only player in the space. Obviously, Apple, Samsung, every big um, hardware manufacturer is fighting actively against this, including Microsoft. They have money in the lobbyist groups that are fighting the right to repair. So this isn't just like a good guy Microsoft story, but it is definitely a step in the right direction. I'm very excited to see if this can get across the line and we can actually get some legislation passed that affects us as consumers, I think you'll see a lot more modular hardware. And I think you're going to see a lot more, you know, being able to unplug and plug back in a new system real quick. I think this can really help with the Joy-Con problem. This can help with storage. This can help with overheating issues and being able to replace all your parts and being able to keep your Xbox for not five years, but 10 years, because you're able to repair it. That is a beautiful thing. I like being able to repair original hardware and not having to buy new hardware every three, four, five years because of forced obsolescence or something along those lines. Enough of that. Let's go ahead and jump into Nintendo, because I know Nintendo always keeps some news for us uh, in their weird behavior. So, Let's go ahead and jump into the thing that really got everybody talking. Uh, YouTubers were hot. All the Nintendo YouTubers were super pissed about this one. So, Nintendo Online Expansion Pack, they tagged it on the back of the Animal Crossing Direct, and they finally announced the pricing for the N64, the Sega expansion, and they're actually going to be including some paid DLC for free into it for Animal Crossing. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. But for an individual Nintendo Online Plus Expansion Pack subscription, it is $50 a year. That is correct, $50 a year. And for the family, it is going to be $80 a year. That is a That's a $50 increase on the family plan and a $30 increase on the individual plan. That is a more than 100% increase for those of you that are math people. That is a lot of bread. That is a lot of bread, not not because it's a lot of money. We spend that much in a month on games, you know what I mean, in my house. But that's not really the point. The point is that how much are we how much value are we actually getting for our $80 a year? You know what I mean? I don't know how how badly people want to play Sega games. I know people want to play N64 games, 100%. But if I told you that you had to pay $60 every year to pay to play Mario 64 and Ocarina of Time, yeah, you'd probably be a little annoyed. You'd be like, this is dumb. Why? Why? And and every year at that, it's not as if you guys are selling these on a cartridge that I buy once and that's it. Nah, you guys are saying, pay us every year this much, and we'll potentially pull these down whenever we want. And I I know it sounds hypocritical because I'm with Game Pass, and I like Game Pass, but the difference is they're putting out games day and date. They're putting out games day one on Game Pass. That's a saying now. It's a hashtag, day one on Game Pass. It's like a thing consistently. Nintendo's not going to do that, ever. They're never going to do that, third party or otherwise. So it's... To me, I think the DLC is probably the angle they're going with, but even so, I don't know if that cost right now today is worth it. Who knows? Maybe they'll really start driving it home by summer next year, by this time next year. We'll revisit this conversation and we'll see if it's worth $50 a year. Let's say you're an individual and you're not paying for other consoles to play. $50 a year, do you want to pay $50 a year to play an N64 or buy an old N64 because they're still out in the wild and they still run? (sighs) That's tough. 
You know, that's tough. I, I get it. I understand. I know that the Nintendo fan base is still going to give Nintendo all their money, but I definitely think uh, it's it's worth paying attention to and going to places like Nintendo Life and Spawn Wave and, you know, whoever, uh, Player Essence, to see how they feel about this. All the Nintendo creators, definitely check them out and see where they land on this. And yeah, and just be mindful of the subscriptions that you're that you're paying for every month. Next, we had the Animal Crossing Direct. For the update, there is going to be a new cafe. There's going to be a set of new islands with new shops, hairstyles, customization options. There's going to be a new system called ordinances that allow you to affect the time of day. New house customization, new camera modes. KK Slider has a new 12-track album. Now, that is all the free stuff. But the paid DLC, the Happy Home Paradise paid DLC, is actually going to be coming to Nintendo Expansion Pack, Online Plus Expansion Pack, for free. And it allows you to design a school, a restaurant, a hospital, and other facilities. It allows you to basically create islands for other characters. So you can now have multiple islands, but they have to be tailored to specific characters within the game and what they want. This is going to be a twelve. Uh, excuse me. This is going to be a twenty-five dollar expansion, um, and I think I'm going to get it. We play a lot of Animal Crossing in my house, and I think the twenty-five dollars is well worth it. I'm already paying for Nintendo Online, and I'm nervous about the price pr- proposition on that. So we will we will definitely see. Uh, I'll probably let you guys know where I land by the end of this month, by November fifth. So now. It's time for one of my favorite segments every week, and that is five minutes of football. It's a lightning round of flash highlights from the San Francisco 49ers and the NFL, and I'll be honest with you, it's not going to be a lot of actual, you know, X's and O's this week. Instead, we're actually going to start with a different sport. We're going to start with baseball because I need to, you know, send F in the chat, pay your respects to the San Francisco Giants. Uh, They lost the NLDS to the LA Dodgers two nights ago. So that was a heartbreaker here for us in the Bay Area. We like to support all our local sports teams. And unfortunately, the Giants were not able to pull it through this time around. But moving on, let's go ahead and jump into football. (sighs) Let's start with Trey Lance's first start. I like to talk about the 49ers. Let's jump into it. One, I think that this was a tough loss because we expected to win when maybe we shouldn't have. This was the rookie quarterback's first start, and if you go around the league and look at other rookie quarterbacks' first starts, it has not been pretty. But notes from the actual game. I think there were too many design runs for Trey Lance, and I think we should have utilized our running game much, much more instead of getting this young man hit all over the place, especially that goal line hit. That scared me. Uh, I think play calling was definitely an issue when it comes to fourth down calls and long third down runs for some reason QB draws like I said too many design runs a lot of that but for all you Niners fans calling for Kyle Shanahan to be on the hot seat uh you're ridiculous and go ahead and look around the NFL and tell me what other coach you would rather have than Kyle Shanahan and then we can have that conversation and of course once again the defense played above the board uh I honestly the more I watch our defense, the more I'm convinced if we even had one veteran in that secondary, we'd be a top five defense. That defense plays with heart. They play with intensity. And the fact that they held Kyler Murray to 17 points when they're the highest scoring team in the NFL, or second highest, I think, behind the Bills, yeah, that's impressive. So final stat line for Trey Lance was 15 of 29 for 192 passing yards, zero touchdowns, and an interception. And then he actually rushed 16 times for 89 yards and zero touchdowns. Arizona ended up winning this game 17, San Francisco 10. Next, let's jump into the big story that hit the NFL world this week, and that is the resignation of Raiders head coach John Gruden. Now, if you're not familiar, John Gruden is the latest person to become a collateral damage, as it's been described, of the the sexual assault allegations happening over in the Washington football team that go all the way back to 2018. We're not going to be talking about those allegations today. We will jump into that another time, but I want to read you this quote from CBS Sports first. Quote, on October 11th, the New York Times reported that the emails revealed that Gruden had actually engaged in a pattern of 
misogynistic, and homophobic language from 2010 to 2018, criticizing everything from the idea of gay players to female officials and exchanging pictures of topless Washington cheerleaders. Gruden subsequently resigned, prematurely bowing out of a 10-year contract with the Raiders and essentially becoming, quote, collateral damage from leaks of the Washington investigation. So, yes, one, obviously, there's a bigger story going on with the Washington football team, and uh, John Gruden has become caught in the crossfire. Granted, he should not be in the league anyway. And I think that the, you know, the NFL should have stepped in and made made this decision for him sooner. I'm glad that he decided to resign. It's smart. Step away from it. But I'm not rooting for John Gruden. I'm not rooting for his brother. I, I really, I, I'm disappointed. And quite frankly, I'm tired of putting my faith in some of these old white dudes in the NFL. Consequently, he has been removed from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Ring of Honor, where he won a Super Bowl in 2002. And, you know, honestly, my reaction to all of this is like, good riddance, bro. The NFL and the NCAA have a long, long, long history of promoting people who are openly or quietly prejudiced toward minority groups, despite the fact that they make a great deal of money from the work of these minority groups. So that is definitely something I'm going to be on them about coming forward. And nah, I don't know how much faith I have in a lot of these coaches. I mean, even our coach, even some of our coaching staff. I don't know. I don't know them personally. I can root for them as my football team. But as soon as this comes into a real world context and we're not talking about a children's game anymore, yeah, you can you can you can lose your job. I'm not I'm not that mad about it. If if this was Kyle Shanahan, I want to be very clear. If this was Kyle Shanahan, I would be calling for his job too. I'm not a homer when it comes to racism, misogynistic, uh, misogyny, homophobia and all that other stuff. I don't pick teams on that front. So know that. I'm glad that he's gone. I'm just, I'm, I'm honestly hurt for the Raiders because I still root for them, even if they're not in the Bay Area no more. Um, with that being said, we're actually going to go ahead and jump into our second break this time around. And when you come back, we're going to jump into the trigger warning topic of the week. And we're going to dive into the Kotaku story around piracy, emulation, and the sacrifice that Metroid Dread is making for us right now. But with that, we will be right back. My name is Wack Ops, and this is Hardcore Casual. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're going to get right into it. The trigger warning topic of the week this week, Kotaku, striking again. Now, for those of you who are new, the trigger warning topic is where we dissect, deep dive, and discuss one story that deserves a little more attention. Now, this obviously got a lot of attention. If you're in the gaming Twitter space, you know what I'm about to get into. I got to give my take on it, blah, blah, blah. But this was very, very important to me because I think Kotaku is easily one of the most interesting publications to talk about and to give takes on. Mostly because no other publication highlights the disconnect between gamers, content creators, and games journalists than Kotaku. They are a perfect in-between of all of these things. And people get very, very mad at them when they don't, you know, choose to be journalists. Or they don't choose, me included, me included. But without that, let's go ahead and jump into it. So... Kotaku put out an article a few days after Metroid Dread came out saying that, you know, Metroid was available and runs great on emulation in 4K on your PC. The original article was short, introducing readers to the idea of pirating Metroid Dread, like via emulation, which they link, by the way, in the article right now, still, while also hinting at, like, justification to steal. Um, they basically were like, oh, well, since Nintendo's bad at backwards compatibility, you might as well just steal their new game. And they've changed the language since I actually pulled the source. I should have saved the article when it first came out, but this is what uh, it's stating as of today. 
Thanks to Nintendo's rather poor approach to supporting older games, especially those on Game Boy Advance and DS, emulation is often the only viable means to play through their collection. And this is the case for much of the Metroid franchise. There are so many good reasons to be grateful for pirates, emulators, modders, and hackers for doing what so many publishers won't, keeping old games alive. Clearly, that's not the case for Metroid Dread, a brand new game, but this is an enormous issue Nintendo has to face given the relative technical inferiority of its current console. So why I have a problem with some of that is because it starts with, you know, thanks to Nintendo's poor approach to older games, we have to thank pirates, emulators, modders, hackers for keeping games alive. But I think just pinning on the end there, clearly it's not the case with Metroid Dread. That's the only blurb within there where they're telling you like, hey, maybe you shouldn't steal, but they don't say it outright. People who are already emulating and pirating games that are new are doing that anyway, and they don't really need your help. Yes, it is news that Nintendo faces, what did they say? Relative technical inferiority of its current console. Yes, that is absolutely news, but that is not the angle that they took on this article. That's not what the headline said. It doesn't. It didn't say Nintendo, N Metroid Dread highlights huge hole in Nintendo ecosystem. It, doesn't, it didn't say that. It said, hey, you want to play this game for free in 4K that just came out? Here's how to do it. And this was just days after the Metroid release. Now, I will give them this. Later, the article would add, quote, of course, for those wanting to feel a more legitimate approach to such an action, purchasing the Switch game before doing such emulation, while legally very dubious, at least feels more morally clear. So they kind of edited in later like, hey, you should buy it if you want to play it. But there are options. It just feels like a cop out. You know what I mean? It it felt like they, they're fencing. Like, do, do you want me to steal the game or not? You know? And I want to make this clear because there was a lot of problems within people reacting to this, saying that emulation is bad. No, 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 no. Emulation is not the same as piracy. Emulation is not the same as piracy. Me being able to copy a system or a game on not the original hardware isn't that big of a deal because Nintendo isn't selling old SNES consoles anymore. They're not selling old SNES games anymore. The only way for me to play a whole bunch of games is through emulation. If I want to play an old Pokemon Yellow and I can't find a Game Boy cartridge, I can't do anything with that. So, yes, emulation has its place, but I think conflating emulation with piracy is dangerous, and I think it's Kotaku's fault while people are confused about it in the first place. Because you're, it's like using a tool to break into a car. The tool itself isn't inherently bad. It's what you do with it. Do you understand? Now, let's get into the Kotaku of the matter. Now, I just want to say, first and foremost, Kotaku is invaluable to the space. Period. If you don't like them, that's great. But whenever we need to report, and I've said this in the past when I grilled Kotaku about uh, some of their practices. Anytime we need serious reporting done, they come through. When when the Activision stuff was popping off, they came through. Who reported on Ubisoft? Them. Who rep who reports on devs not getting credit in their games, including Metroid Dread? That's Kotaku. So they do the hard work. I don't want anybody to be over here like, oh, Kotaku, they're they're not real games journalists. Like, yeah, they are. But my issue that I take with Kotaku is this. Once again, they passed up an opportunity to make a statement or open up readers to meaningful dialogue. Like I said, they didn't say Metroid Dread in 4K on PC, you know, highlights giant hole in Nintendo ecosystem. Or they didn't say, you know, the importance of emulation in your gaming diet and why piracy is a dangerous, you know, implementation of it. Or... They didn't use Metroid Dread as an example of something, but more said, hey, Metroid Dread for free is the showcase. But by the way, there's some other information about it if you want. 
It just felt very bad faith. People are upset because as a publication, they often squander opportunities to actually engage with the conversation while simultaneously burning bridges by putting out articles that many readers often find to be written in bad faith. I'm not saying they are written in bad faith. I'm not accusing you of something, but you cannot be mad at how people are interpreting your work. Kotaku plays, again, an incredibly important role in game journalists, but their solid reporting does not translate to their readers when it is followed up by takes that at best, at best, can be characterized as not fully thought out. It undermines your hard work when you treat people like shit, Kotaku. If I'm a dev on Metroid Dread and I wake up on top of the world because my game just got a, a you know, a 9 out of 10 from IGN and an 8 out of 10 from GameSpot and everybody's loving our game and everybody's buying our game. This might be the best-selling game of the franchise. And then I see a major publication be like, hey, man, here's how you can bootleg that shit. Yeah, bro, I'm going to be tight about that. And I think whoever wrote this article did not consider the devs or don't care. And when you don't care about the development team, that's why you don't get access. That's why people come after you. That's why people who work in the space, not gamers, people who work in the space are mad. So at the end of the day, I think this is a good reminder to gamers to support the games that they want to see more of, man. And at the end of the day, I think... (laughs) It's not that big of a deal because I think this may have caused a bit of a Streisand effect for many people, including me. I might end up buying Metroid Dread purely out of spite, purely to let Kotaku know, like, bro, what are you doing? What, are, what was the purpose of this article? Because the people who already know about emulation and know about piracy are already doing that. And the people who don't need to have at least more information that, than that was ready, readily available in your article. But... I'm going to go ahead and end it there. At the end of the day, I don't want anybody to come after Kotaku after hearing what I had to say. I, Again, I think Kotaku is invaluable to the space. I think some of their writers are not the strongest. I think they don't fully think out all of their work all the time. Honestly, I think whoever wrote this sounded really tired or really excited and just blew right past all the important information like hey bro maybe you should tell kids not to steal (laughs) i didn't know that that was something that we had to go out and tell people nowadays but anyway i'm gonna go ahead and start closing out the show now but i do want to remind all of you to holler at me Come and join us and be a part of a growing community. And don't forget to support the show. You can write into the show to our Gmail. That's wackops at gmail.com. W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at wackops. Again, W-H-A-C-K-O-P-Z. And don't forget to subscribe, share, download, and review. It does actually help, help us build this community. It really is appreciated. If you're showing love, I need the sub. If you're trying to holler, I need the follow. If you're enjoying the content, don't forget to comment. And if you're liking what we do, download, share, and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you enjoy podcasts. Last week, we had Twitter poll, a weekly Twitter poll that we're going to be putting up. Last week's Twitter poll question was, what has been your favorite Marvel show on Disney Plus so far? And of course, the results, the winner, my favorite, I was surprised, WandaVision won with 67% of the vote. And what if received zero votes? Zero percent. You guys are harsh. Not a lot of love for that uh, what if series, apparently. I'm glad I feel a little validated because, it, yeah, it didn't hit for me as well. But this week's poll is all about next-gen consoles. And I want to ask, what game would you play first? on a new xbox series x or s please write in please go to our twitter page and participate in the poll you don't even have to follow like or none of that to be able to participate in the poll though we would appreciate all of your support so go ahead and go to whack ops on twitter that's w-h-a-c-k-o-p-z on twitter and participate in this week's poll and, and and if you don't see what your first choice would be go ahead and reply below and let us know what your 
most anticipated game on next-gen consoles would be, what would you be playing first? And before we close out, as I always do, I like to leave you with something a little more positive. And we're going to leave you this week with the shout out of the week where we give people their flowers and hold them up high. The first of two goes to Wesley Yin Poole. Now, who is Wesley Yin Poole? He is a fantastic writer and interviewer over at Eurogamer, and he interviewed just last week EA Chief Experience Officer Chris Bruzo. He presses an executive at EA about loot boxes, FIFA, gambling regulation, and more. Let me just say this. This is one of the best interviews I have read in a while from a gaming publication. And I'll say non-glowing interview because obviously there's a lot of positive people in the gaming space who are interviewing each other and big-upping each other and bringing light to certain situations. But a good old-fashioned controversial interview where people are going back and forth I loved it. And I want to say great job to Mr. Yin Pool. Thank you. I personally want to say thank you to you because I enjoyed the work that you do. You gave me important information. And now I feel as though I can hold EA more and more accountable for their actions. And lastly, this one's a, a little bittersweet. Mac Miller's Faces mixtape is now available on all streaming platforms. This is one of my favorite mixtapes ever Ever. So I want to say thank you to the family for releasing this officially so that fans can support not only some of their favorite music, but also give those spins over to Mac Miller's family. I like to be able to support when I can. So rest in peace, Mac Miller. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the hard work and wonderful music you put out to us. But without further ado, I'm going to get up out of here. I'm going to go play my new Xbox for once. Jesus, what a week. I've been I'm going to go I'm going to go play some Back for Blood until my eyes bleed. So, wish me luck, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am Wack Ops. This is Hardcore Casual. Have fun, be cool, and stay dangerous. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Hardcore Casual. Join us next Friday with your friendly neighborhood news aggregator, Wack Ops. You can also follow us on social media at Wack Ops, on Instagram and Twitter. Support the show by downloading, sharing, and reviewing. Available on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and Stitcher. See you next week.